Today's scripture reading is in the book of James, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Good morning. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, as your scripture has been read, may it be absorbed. Father, as we hear it and as we understand it, may we yield to your spirit. Speak through my words, Father, bring out your truth. We ask now that you would work in our lives today in Jesus' name we pray through your Holy Spirit. Amen. You've heard of Mensa, right? An organization you have to have 140 IQ to join. This is one of my favorite true stories about a Mensa gathering. They were out at uh, dinner together and they're celebrating and they noticed that the salt shaker had pepper in it and the pepper shaker had salt in it. And so they thought that this was a fitting test of their mental acuity. And so they provided a competition to see who could solve the problem best. And there were all kinds of ways that uh, came there, but the best solution they decided on involved a napkin, a straw, and an empty saucer that would get them together and the waitress came and they said, ma'am, we couldn't help but notice that the pepper shaker contains salt and the salt contains, oh, the waitress interrupted. Sorry about that. She unscrewed the caps and replaced them on the others. <laughs> We're gonna talk about wisdom and knowledge today, aren't we? And we're going to talk about two kinds of wisdom. And I like the fact the NIV puts wisdom in parentheses because one type of wisdom really isn't that wise. It really isn't that smart. But a lot of people give it honor and a lot of people follow it. And so we'll look at two types of wisdom today. It's a continuation on our theme. The chapter opened up with not many should become teachers. And then it talks about the danger of the tongue, and of course, teachers use the tongue. Here we get into the lifestyle, and it's still in the big idea of the teachers, but it applies to everyone, whether we're a teacher or not. And by the way, if you're not a teacher, all you have to do is have kids, and you become a teacher. And many of us do teach. And so it's talking now about the way we live out our lives, our actions, and it goes from our mouths into how we live. 
we see a dramatic call out at the beginning. Who is wise and understanding among you? Is this not a desirable distinction? How many people would not want to be called wise and knowledgeable? You know, most people say, yeah, me, me. You know, some people say, no, I want to be loving. But almost everyone, even if they want something else ahead of it, want to be known this way. And so he is appealing to what people want here. The presumption here, though, is that some people um, think they are this and they're not. Just by the whole call out, who is like this? You know there's a setup when you hear a call like that. You're not going to raise your hand when you say that, right? Who here is wise and knowledgeable? Oh, every hand goes down because you know you're in trouble if you raise your hand. Well, that's exactly what's going on here. He's trying to say who is truly wise and well-trained. And he's going to explain that to us. Now, wisdom here is just the, the common word in Greek, sophos. And so it's really for wisely using the knowledge we have. That's the most generic use of it. It can sometimes use, mean some more um, niche things. But here it's used in its big, boldest sense. And the other one is really for specialized skill or training. It's a word that's used for someone who's an expert in an area, well-trained or well-practiced. And so it is a combination of knowledge and the application of it that he's talking about here today. It's very clear by using these two words. We also see that when we put this together, it really is a teacher's job description. It goes back to verse 1 and 2. Because a teacher is someone who must learn something and be able to teach it in a way that is practical and not just theoretical. Some of the classes that most of us have the most trouble with are the ones where we don't understand where the rubber hits the road, right? You have to memorize all these things. When am I ever going to use this again? I think Pastor Mike was commenting about how his business degree has not helped him at all in business or being a worship pastor either. And so how do we understand where... The rubber hits the road. And so a teacher's job is to take these things that are complex and make them simple and also help people to know how to wisely use them. And so we see he's bringing us back to the beginning of the chapter and we're still in the macro theme. And we see that we do not want to be dealing with trivialities here. We're here talking about the whole Christian life. We're not talking about an arcane or obscure area of study. I have a friend who's an entomologist, and not just an entomologist, but studies only with five different American crops, the bugs that um, would attack them. And so his whole world is about bugs that attack five American crops. And if you want to know anything about what's eating your corn... He is your guy. If you want to know anything about life, he is not your guy. Because as he said, I made a train wreck of my life. And so there's a difference. We're talking now here, not that I know some little niche of deep theology, but the Christian life is the Christian walk. We're going to use metaphors for that as we go on. One of those is to return and to return is movement, is it not? And that describes a Christian walk. 
And so we want to look at examples of how to live. And so if we're going to teach someone, if we're going to be examples for our kids, we must model it. It can't only be head knowledge. It has to be applied. We have to have training that is detailed, but then we have to use it well in the area that it needs to be used. This is not a foreign concept to the Bible. Um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11.1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so that really is a Christian life, is it not? Following the example of Jesus and then set an example for other people. And so the closer he would follow Jesus, the better it'd be to follow Paul. So we see this dramatic call out. We're going to look at four contrasting things today on the two types of wisdom. Who has wisdom? Is it real wisdom? Is it false? The first is the origins of this wisdom. And where does the false wisdom come from? Where does the true wisdom come from? And so we see in verse 15, such wisdom, note how they are treating it as not really wisdom. But they're recognizing that some people call it or use it as wisdom. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly. Now look at this trifecta, unspiritual, demonic. Now before you're saying we're going to get all in the huff about the world that is going that way, worldly, unspiritual, demonic, let's remember the context of the book we're reading. He's writing to Christians here. It's not us versus them. It's within us. And he's saying some of the wisdom we're following in the church, even though we have the Holy Spirit of the living God and we have access to the heavenly through that, we are following the wisdom of the world. And so this is a church problem. And one of the problems is how can a church show something countercultural? How can we show something different if we're living by the same standards as the world is? If we're using the same wisdom? And so he's telling us to clean up our act on the inside. And first off, we see by the fact that this wisdom can be earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, that wisdom can be counterfeited. We can have something that seems to be true, And I guarantee that when you look at it and you think it's the right thing to do, you're not saying that's the right thing to do because you think it's earthly, unspiritual, or demonic. You're just saying, oh, that makes sense. But we have to consider the origin. Uh, Party when I was a teenager. A friend was supposed to bring the drinks, you know, like soda, lemonade, stuff like that. She was running behind and she ran into the grocery store and picked up what she thought was Coca-Cola. It had the right colors there on it, and uh, very similar. But when she got it there, the C's were replaced with K's, Coca-Cola, three K's instead of C's. And back then, they had gone to aluminum cans already, but these were still in tin cans, and the hands were not lined. How many of you remember drinking out of tin cans and tasting the metal in your pop? Yeah, okay. And, then, and it was not good soda in the first place. 
And she brought, bought the imitation because she was running behind. And that was exactly why it was designed to do. It was designed to look the same. So if you don't look too closely, you have Coca-Cola. I don't think you'd get away with that nowadays. I think the copyright people would be all over you. It was too good to be true. He said, no wonder it was so cheap. Okay, let's step back into our context. Are we dealing with cheap counterfeit wisdom? Are we listening to voices that tell us to do what we want to do instead of what is best and right? There's a type of wisdom that isn't actually good. Unspiritual is very similar to the earthly. Earthly means its origin is from here. It's everything around us, the way people normally do it. Unspiritual is just a very close synonym for that as well. And it again talks about being tied to this life instead of to the earth. So it's about this life and not the next. And so when we think about things that are dated and stuck in this world will not get beyond this world, we can have a type of wisdom One of the problems with uh, thinking about money is that no money's gonna make it out of this world. No stuff is gonna make it out. We're told this world and everything in it will be destroyed by fire. And so we're coached by Jesus himself to use our money for spiritual benefits. How is it going to touch other people and help other people so that we can transfer money that's going to die into something that will remain? And so sometimes your best investment is to save up more and more, and then you die with the most toys, and they're gone, or someone else is using them. And so we see earthly or unspiritual, tied to this life, not tied to the things that are of the spirit. And then he wraps it even more demonic. Do you know that Satan wants to whisper into your ear? And were it only Bill have another piece of that chocolate cake? I think he's not even that concerned with that. Maybe he's saying, take that last piece of chocolate cake before your brother gets it. Now, that might be him. But as with Adam and Eve, does the Bible really say? Is that really what it means? Go ahead and get it out. You feel it, be authentic and say it. Boy, that's an ugly haircut. Yeah, I say that because you can. No, you don't have to say every opinion, right? But he may want you to say every opinion. He'll whisper into the ears of us and he'll tell us to tie onto things that will wear out, to put our money into things that will die with this world, to put our time and our energy into things that will die with this world. A man came into my office several years ago, confessed he was struggling in his marriage, and he was using his secretary to uh, vent about his marriage. Well, you know, it doesn't take rocket scientists to realize this is a dangerous thing. And he shared that he'd already crossed some minor boundaries. And he was talking to me. I said, 
Who else knows about it? You and the secretary said, first thing you're going to do is tell your wife what you just told me. Oh, he did not want to do that. Just say, you know, because I've been struggling. I made a mistake with that. Why, do, why am I so upset with my marriage? I have to be saying it to someone else. He told her, the first three people that she told about what he said told her to get a divorce. And all he had done was some minor boundary things. This was a warning sign. The guy came into his pastor to ask for advice early on. He wanted to fix it. But the people said, give up on it. He's not worth it. A man that will go into his pastor and confess when he's just on the fringe of doing something and stop, that looks like a possible keeper to me. (laughs) But Satan wanted to say, throw it away. By the way, they're still married happily now. Because she did not listen to the earthly. Who is he to vent about you to his secretary? Who is he to be fantasizing about being married to her instead of you? Well, she said, because I'm always saying negative things. Is that why? Ding, ding, ding. They started to work it out. They went to a counselor and things got put together. Contrasting origins is important. We have to ask where our advice and where our wisdom and our knowledge is coming from. We also have contrasting motivation. There's an origin. There's also a motivation. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, notice how it comes up again. This is the word for zeal or jealousy. Isn't that interesting? We can learn, I think, from the Greek combining zeal and jealousy. The motivation is so important. What's the difference between like coveting and appreciating? It's whether it belongs to you, right? If it's your stuff, I'm coveting it. If it's something God has given for me, it's appreciating and thanking God for it. And so we see that we can be zealous for good things and we can be jealous for bad things. And when you add the word bitter, it cues us in which one it is very quickly. This is obviously not zeal for a good cause, but it's something that has been tainted, something that has been twisted a bit, and now it is bitter. And selfish ambition. I think the best translation of this strange and rare word in Greek is self-seeking, and so putting yourself first. And when you're putting yourself first, you're putting other people second or even much further down. Another youth group from when I was a kid, um, different person than they got the soda, decided to be nice and bring in a cake for her friend's birthday and share it with the youth group. And so she baked a lemon cake, actually quite tasty. But uh, we asked her, but your friend who's having the birthday loves chocolate. Why do you make the lemon? Because I like chocolate. I like lemon, she said. I don't like chocolate. You baked it for her. 
You know she has a citrus intolerance? Hmm. I think somebody wanted cake. I don't think it really was a gift, was it? Do you understand we have to look deeper? Oh, this is a hard one. Only the Holy Spirit can help because some of us like to beat up on ourselves, and that's not good. And some of us like to lift ourselves up bigger than we are, and that's not good. The Spirit has to talk to this, and you need to have your friends around you to work through it. But selfish, why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing it for the right motivation? And what he's telling us is that the best actions motivated selfishly are problematic. That's where Jesus himself said, Lord, Lord, many will come to me in that last day and say, Lord, Lord, in your name, did we not cast out demons, heal the sick, do all these good things, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Where is this lawlessness coming from with all their good deeds? First off, they're not obeying everything. Second off, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And it's doing it for themselves. And so contrasting motivations. One of the keys for me is whether I'm listening to God's wisdom or my wisdom is how much glory I get, how much perk I get, how much of this is about me. And by the way, it's okay for some things to be about you and to celebrate that before God, but when everything has to be about me, that's problematic. And true wisdom will always be outward. And by the way, putting others first is the best way to be satisfied yourself. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but it's the way God is. And when we are more like God, we are more pleased because we are made to be servants because Jesus came into this world to serve us. Very God, a very God, creator of the ends of the earth, hanging on a cross to save our souls as the greatest servant of all. The good motivation for good wisdom is humility. Who is wise and understanding among you? Verse 13, let them show it by their good life, their deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. We'll get to the other part later. Their deeds done in humility. And so how do we separate out the deeds? They have to be done humbly. And so we can have the exact same action and one can be an earthly wisdom motivation and one can be a heavenly one, but is it done humbly? We had a church janitor years ago that uh, would always complain that as soon as she cleaned something, it was dirty. Our property manager had the same line, don't complain, that's job security. <laughs> what job does a janitor do? They clean. You know, this whole mindset. We can't be all about me. If you're starting to control things, it's about you, by the way. If you stay big picture about why you're here and you can remember why you do it, janitors clean, things get messy, janitors clean again, things get messy, janitors clean again. If you can keep like that, you're not thinking about you. You're getting too stuck on you when you're saying, I have to do it again. I cleaned the sliding glass doors. 
my house at the beginning of this week. 20 minutes later, dog noses and kid fingers all over it. My daughter-in-law said, aren't you glad you cleaned that? I've got three grandkids living with me. This is cool. Right? Just don't want it to build up so you can't even see out the glass. There would be times when I would be saying, oh, man, I just cleaned that. Who are you thinking about? Are you humble or not? Contrasting attributes. Now, there's tons of these here, and you could spend a lot of time on this. We don't have time to do it. This could be a week of sermons itself. The positive attributes we're going to list first. I think there's 11 of them here listed. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Notice good conduct. This is the good returning. These walking words in their culture were often used for living. You walk, that's a symbol of life. You turn around, that's a symbol of repent. This returning type of thing is going there and coming back. That's a symbol of everything you do. And so they rightly translate it by your good life. And what it means is the way you live your life. And so if you're listening to good wisdom, it's going to change the way you live. Now, mind you, some of us expect, okay, I'm submitting to the Spirit, so I'm going to be just like that. I'm going to be perfect. No, no, okay. Let it be progressive. Let it be transformative. Um, you know, I was a Christian for 30, 40 years before I even knew certain things were wrong. You want to know why? Because God had bigger things to work on with me first. And he graciously says, well, let's handle this one. I'm not even going to tell him about that one for a little bit. Let it be progressive, but let it be transformative. It should change the way we live. And if we boast about Jesus and we act like everyone else in the world without love and mercy... It has to change our life. It has to change our actions, deeds, actions done in humility uh, that comes from wisdom. We can also translate this gentleness as well. Good life. It has to fit what we're saying. I remember years ago, I was a chaplain and uh, assistant vice president at a hospital our head dietitian was interviewing candidates um, for the dietitian who would sit down with uh, people as they're going home. We had a clinic, a hospital, and several nursing homes. And she was going to be the one going home from the hospital and nursing homes to teach them how to eat more healthily. Um, well, she just had to get it off her chest because she said, this short, round lady with a dietitian degree, came in with a box of 12 donuts to share to her interview. And she said, I stopped at the gas station. They were half off. I just couldn't pass it up. She didn't get the dietitian job. Because people looked at your actions and what you say and what you do, and they said, wait a second. We're not going to send our people home for fried sugary foods after they've had surgery. 
I wonder though, sometimes do I look like this fat little lady carrying a box of donuts talking about Jesus and how he transforms our life. I've got to let God into those areas of my life where I become more like Jesus. More holy but less judgmental because I deserve to be judged but was shown mercy. We see also then in verse 17 another list of contrasting attributes, the positive attributes. First of all, pure. First of all, that means it's the bucket that's holding all the others. And so purity is a broad term for moral purity and it's important. And inside this bucket of purity, we have peace-loving. Kittle says this is best defined this word in English is ready for peace. You know, desirous of peace. So peace-loving seems to be a good translation. It's a rare word, compound word with peace. Husband and wife were arguing over their finances and whether to replace a car. And you know, it's one of those places where there's no win. Um, Finances are tight. If you don't replace the car, you're gonna put more money into it. If you do replace the car, you're gonna put more money into a different car, right? There really is no win in this type of thing. They're arguing over this, and the husband just blurted out, I just want peace. She said, only if you get your way. Ooh, ooh. I know that story because a pastor friend of mine shared it. It was him that said it. Ooh, but I've been there. I want peace, so just concede to me. The war will go away when you admit you're wrong. I don't think that's peace-loving, do you? And we do not have to compromise justice. We do not have to compromise righteousness to be peace-loving. I know there'll be a struggle sometimes because sometimes you will have to be tough, but may we be people that want to be peace-loving, not people that want to be judgmental, not people that want to be tough. And may it be peace-loving people that must exercise justice. The best judges and police officers I know are the people that are peace-loving. The best warriors that go to war are people that are peace-loving, that only have to go to war when there's no other alternative. Peace-loving, considerate. This means yielding or gentle. There's a lot of things we can yield to. We can let other people win. Submissive, that's a word also can be translated obedient or compliant. Not having to always be the boss, even when you are the boss. That's a good boss. When you are the boss, but you don't always have to have your way. When you let somebody else try something, an idea that's different. Jesus is the boss. But he was a servant of all. Full of mercy. Full of good fruit. Full means it's can't put anything else in it. It's full to the top. I hate it when somebody brings me a cup 
full to the top. How do you drink it, right? Ooh, but when it's full with mercy and nothing else can come in. Full of good fruit. This is generic. It means all kinds of fruit. And we know what fruit means in the Bible. It means anything that is tasty, anything that is good for your body that you can take in. And these people produce things that make other people whole and make other people happy. And you want to be around people that are full of good fruit because there's plenty of fruit. You just like to be with them. Impartial. Impartial. Now, we could be talking about the Green Bay Vikings game today. (laughs) And we could remember that I moved from the Twin Cities three years ago. And by the way, Green Bay went from my eighth favorite team to my second favorite in these three years. Third, maybe. (laughs) Denver's crappy, but they're still up there. They've leapfrogged the Bears. Sorry for some of you there. But I, I might not be wearing green today. But impartial. Football teams, they're made for rivalries, right? You cheer the things, it's okay. As long as we keep it light. But oh, so many things are not made for rivalries. Do we understand that? Sibling rivalry? No, 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 no. That's not made for rivalry. That's made for support. You're supposed to be a cheerleader to your brother or sister. You're supposed to empower them, right? You're not supposed to compete with them. Yeah, I know. My dad's here, so I'm not going to say more. (laughs) He'll be telling me how I did not live that way and probably still don't. But in the church, can we love other people's success? Can we empower other people? Can we surround ourselves with people that are better than us? Can we be impartial? Can we not favor our friends? And then sincere. This is that word that literally in Greek is the negative and hypocritical, not or unhypocritical. And that takes us back to where we started. Sort of bookends that our life should reflect what we believe and what we say. And so contrasting attributes. There's only two negative attributes. And we see that in verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and, (laughs) okay, only two, and every evil practice. (laughs) There's a big bucket. (laughs) Okay, selfishness, envy, personal ambition that's not team ambition, from that you have disorder. Disorder is not just a messy house, but the mess that comes from arguments and contentiousness, the way it feels more than the way it looks. A friend at her first day uh, teaching kindergarten, she was coming in mid-year because the other teacher was retiring due to health unexpectedly. And so her first day of kindergarten, her phone rang, and she stepped out in the hallway and said, you kids just keep doing your craft project. And she took this call for two minutes. 
Any ideas of what it looked like in the kindergarten room two minutes later? Three desks were turned over. The pipe cleaners were lightsabers. And everyone was running around. That's disorder. Several were crying because they had had their arms cut off by lightsabers. Probably just theoretically. But at kindergarten age, that's just as painful. Disorder, because we compete with one another. And so if our wisdom brings disorder, if we leave a wake behind us of people wincing and crying, I don't think it's the fruit of the Spirit. I don't think that we're using wisdom to help correct people. Finally, contrasting results. We only have half of it here. Um, We only have the positive side. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. But as we saw in the attributes, we're going to count that as results. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. And so peacemakers. Peacemakers are farmers. They plant seeds. A friend went into his shed and got a bag of what he thought were marigold seeds that he was going to plant around his decorative trees. Nice circular border around each one of the trees. A few weeks later, he had wonderful circles of thistles. Well, you take a look at them. I can see how that would happen. It was bird food that he planted. (laughs) Seeds you plant. Everyone's going to grow a crop, aren't they? But people who seek to be peacemakers have a a good crop. You know, peacemaking is really the art of the gospel because we are making peace between people and God. And then we're making people brothers and sisters in peace with one another. And so peacemaking is the work of Jesus. Here's our application suggestions. You can bring plenty others of your own. Check the origin of your wisdom prayerfully. Do you rely on God or do you listen to other voices? Secondly, confess any jealousy or selfish ambition. You may need to confess that to God. You may need to confess it to your spouse. You may need to confess it at work. Confess it. Call it out. Say it's wrong. Make a marker that you don't want to go there again. Follow Jesus' example of humility, where he put us first. Thirdly, here's one you can do this week. Try to make peace with someone this week. Now, maybe all of you people have nobody that considers you an enemy. (laughs) Try to make peace. Try to heal something that has been done poorly. You might have to go back 20 years, but give an apology or try to put things together because this is the way we connect to people so the next we can tell them about Jesus.